Welcome to Aaron and Aaron A and E. Anything and everything it means all of these things. I'm Aaron, and I'm Aaron. And uh, together we each pick a topic every week. We make a presentation on that topic, and then we play a short game worth up to ten points for the other player. Whoever gets the most points in their opponent's game wins and uh, earns uh, a, a, a lifetime trip to the place that they're currently at. Uh, <laughs> uh, in other words, it, there's no stakes here. We're just having fun. Uh, and I hope our listeners are having fun too. Um, we just keep finding more interesting and bizarre things to talk about week after week. And I think last week was a particular high for me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed last week's episode. Uh, if you have not listened to episode, uh, 17, I think is the last one. This one should be 18 by my count. Yes. Okay. I just looked at my paper, yes. Which means that this time Aaron is going first and I will go second, but that's okay. Um, before we get to any of that, we always start our show. The first segment of our show is a catching up. How are you doing? We check any voicemails or emails that we got, which I think is still none at this point. Yeah, there were there were there was nothing. We had that one that we missed that one week. Um Something happened with our recording and it dropped in after it made sense to play it. So I just had that one. I'll cut this um, out. I'll cut this out. I'll edit this. Let's leave right. a pause here. So, hey, how are you doing? It's been a week, hasn't it? <laughs> um. Yes, it, it has been a week. My car stopped loving me. I had to buy a new car. And that's unfortunate. But you can't plan for it. Yeah, but I do love my new car, but it was That's good. I mean that's that that's honestly the goal, like to me. It's like after after the first couple of cars, like I just I won't stand for a vehicle that I don't love anymore. I just won't do it. If I if I don't love it, I'm not gonna drive it, period. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of careful internet research before. Um, I work from home. So uh, for those of you, if I've never mentioned on the show before, for those of mm-hmm. you who listen, if I have mentioned it, I apologize. Um, but so I don't have to necessarily go anywhere because I can have pretty much anything delivered with any assorted app. But um, I do like to leave my house. So I knew I had mm-hmm. to get it fixed sooner than later. So before I went to any dealership or anything, I just scoured websites and I looked for, you know, what made sense to me. And then I did a test drive. And then, you know, four hours later, we were allowed to leave the dealership. So mm-hmm. we being me and Dory, my new mom. Dory. I like it. She's blue. And so I named her after the forgetful fish. Nice. Nice. Yes. What about you? What What's going on with you? Um, not a whole lot. Um, I've been having some fun. I'm getting back into tech. It's been a while because I really haven't had a lot of spare money to throw around on, on random tech projects, but, um, 
This month, I finally got a reprieve uh, from the onslaught of bills um, and had some extra money to play with. And so I decided to try um, modding my GameCube, uh, which is fun. Um, so uh, now I can run homebrew apps and games on it um, at will, uh, which is very nice, and load all that stuff from uh, like a micro SD card. Nice. Uh, which is perfect. So I just load it up and then throw it in there and then I go to town. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've also got a really small laptop that I can actually, can actually show you. It's not, it's not really small, I guess, but it's small to me because like uh, this is, this is what I'm talking about. This was an HP elite book that was donated to me by a friend at work who, who no longer had any use for it. Um, he was like, if you want to, you know take it and you know recycle it and play with it whatever you want i'm like cool sounds like fun um and it's 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 a cute little thing i think it might be 13 inches it's not a very large laptop but the problem is with something so small is that all the parts for it uh, are also small um for example this is the hard drive it's teeny tiny i think it's like 1.8 inches across that's like uh, the size of a credit card. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't make these for very long. They the 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 1.8 inch hard drives were not around for for a good period of time. Uh, so I don't think they caught on very well. Is what I'm saying. Um, and uh, so finding a replacement is going to be interesting. Um, I, uh, I I think I want a replacement just to in, increase the amount of space it has on it. But I think this laptop might actually be a decent Windows XP laptop. It was current. It was meant. It was uh, purchased and used as a Windows Seven. But uh, it, for the specs it has, it's kind of weak for a Windows Seven laptop. So I'm going further back in time, and that makes it stronger <laughs> because because it it is strong enough to run just about anything Windows XP could throw at it. Um, so, you know, as long as you're willing to <laughs> go back in time a little bit, uh, these can be made to be, um, pretty solid, uh, gaming machines. And that's, that's what I do with them. I, I sort of re refurbish, um, replace anything that's broken on them. Um, and, uh, I don't know if the hard drive is broken, but the person who gave it to me said it would shut down randomly on its own. So, and that's usually the first place I'd look is the hard drive so in any event so what type of game would let's say you, like what would you play are, do you is it <sighs> things are not backwards compatible that far back so what are there like some large recognizable name games that you would say like oh would well, I'd play original Warcraft before it was mm. you know online or yeah. stuff you like that you could probably play Warcraft on a Windows XP PC. Windows, Warcraft is like DOS, like goes even further back. Um, but I think Windows XP has a has a DOS emulation and can can play DOS games reasonably well. If I recall, I may not be recalling correctly. Windows XP was like 1999 to like 2002, like that kind of era, 2003 right. or four, maybe. So so stuff from like the late, late 90s and the early uh, 2000s is where you're going to get most of your play. And there's there's a lot of good stuff in there that 
is hard to run nowadays. Like I think um, the only one coming to mind right now is something like Warcraft, Warcraft three, um, which uh, I don't know if it's available to play on like windows 10, um, but it's easily playable on windows XP. Uh, mm-hmm. And so are a lot of games from that same era. Um, there's um, I'm sure there's like, first-person shooter games stevie would know better than i uh from that same era that would run really well um i played a lot of point and click adventure games back in that in that time so i would be playing things like um the blade runner pc game um which is now on gog so you actually can play it in windows 10 you just got to buy the gog version um but up until like i think six months ago or so it was just unavailable anywhere unless you had a real like windows xp machine or something in that Hmm. range so that's one of the reasons i like retro computing so much is because you can play a lot of games that you just can't on modern stuff um and i'm probably once this one is done i'm probably going to sell it um and see if i can get like maybe i don't know maybe a hundred bucks for it i'm sure there's somebody out there who would really enjoy this so i'm still trying to figure out what to do with my um floppy my 3.5 floppy of roger rabbit because the dos emulator for mac is garbage yeah so but i do have two pcs but they're on you know windows 11 so right I got to figure that out. Well, um, what I would probably recommend just based on my experience with it is maybe see if you can get your hands on a IBM ThinkPad T42 or T40. Uh, It's one of those, like that model is one I've recently played with that is excellent for windows 98 and Windows 98 can still play a lot of those old DOS, DOS games. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that would probably be the cheapest. If you go, if you go further back than that, they start getting more and more expensive at this point, like original DOS computers are, are pretty pricey unless they're completely broken. Like, you know, if you want a working one, you're paying in the hundreds of dollars. Whereas like somebody's old IBM ThinkPad T40 you can probably find on eBay for a hundred, maybe 200 bucks. Um, I would probably pay less than that if you can. Um, but, but uh, in, in, in a lot of cases, people are just, they just have this stuff lying around in their garage or whatever, and they don't know what to do with it. So, you know, and sometimes you can even ask people like, I, a lot of what I work with are donations. And, you know, so every now and then I just, I just post a reminder to my Facebook being like, uh, as a reminder, if anybody has old electronics that they're not using, you know, old computers or whatnot lying around and you don't know what to do with it, um, I can recycle them safely so that none of your personal data gets out. And I'll, I'll, I'll happily do this freely in exchange for the technology itself. Like, as long as you let me keep it, I will do that for you. That's fine. Uh, and most people are like, oh, yeah, I've had this thing sitting in here forever, man. You just go ahead and take it. So it really works out. Um, and uh, I get new, like, tech to play with and try and figure out, okay, what, what's the most badass thing I could do with this, you know? Um, 
And most of the time it's just, well, I'm just going to turn it into a retro gaming machine of some kind. Um, and it's just a matter of a matter of figuring out what, what kind of retro gaming machine it'll be. But yeah, I think, I think uh, a, a ThinkPad T42 might be a good pick for you. Cause I believe that still has a 3.5 floppy, um, uh, disk reader on it, uh, and it will run Windows 95, uh, 98 really well, and you should be able to play DOS games with no issue on that. Um, I'm putting and, a note in my phone right now so that I remember. But the thing to remember is that like Windows 98, uh, Windows 10 is very easy to set up. Windows 98 is not. <laughs> Windows 98 is kind of a nightmare. Um, and the further back you go, the harder it gets like, uh, DOS, DOS. I've never, I've never successfully set up, um, a DOS system. It's just, it's just never happened. Um, and I think partially that's because I don't have enough experience with it. Um, windows 95 can be done, but it's a lot more, I want to say broken than windows 90 at 98. I feel like windows 98, they, they fixed a lot of things that windows 95 had. Uh, that were buggy or would cause weird issues. Um, and you would have to just constantly reinstall Windows 95 until it finally all went right. Like, you know, you just needed to hit that jackpot to make it completely work. So, yeah, I would probably lean towards Windows 98. Um, and that's really only if you can't get some kind of DOS box emulation thing going, but if you're working for a Mac, that's well, troublesome. No, so I, I have, I was, that's, we can talk about this off air. I don't want to bore everybody. Um, <laughs> unless you're interested, everyone. But, yeah. um, I have two very modern PC laptops. I have one that's like a couple oh. years old. And then, um, I have Stevie's old laptop, which is, oh. uh, an MSI, I think. So, oh wow! Um, I just need he gave to, you his old beast. I mean, I did buy it. Oh, you bought it. Fair. I bought oh, it. Oh, fair enough. So when I was going to switch my podcast <clears throat> recording stuff over to my to gotcha. PC, and then I was like, Meh, I'll just game. Fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. It's that's an attitude I completely understand and endorse. Uh, <laughs> All right. I think I think that's that's been enough of a catch up. I think we're at the 20 minute mark or, or over it. Um, shall we uh, go to our first break? And uh, when we come back, we will uh, we will do our first topic, which is going to be Aaron. Aaron, uh, any chance you've got a little hint for us as to what's coming up? I will say the things that I'm talking about have some abandonment issues. Ooh. Fascinating. We're going to find out what she's talking about right after this. Hey, Bridget. Hey, Erin. You know what time it is. No, what time is it? It's Bicoastal Biatches time. Finally, we so need to catch up. Join the Bitch Brigade and listen to Bicoastal Biatches. Where can they find us? iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Hey, it's uh, part two of our podcast, which means it's time for our first topic. Uh, Aaron's going first, and you said the things you're talking about have abandonment issues? Yeah, so I am... I'm really into urban exploration and like abandoned things. Mm-hmm. And as our listeners know, I'm formerly a Disney employee. So I, I love Disney and there's not really a time that those things typically interact. However, mm-hmm. there are two abandoned Disney places, uh, both in Florida, both in real close proximity to each other in Florida. Um, one oh. of them is called, or was called Discovery Island, um, and that one closed in 1999. And then the other one was called Disney's River Country, which was its first water park. And that closed in 2001 um, for winter refurb and never reopened. And here's the part that I can't wrap my head around, because having worked for Disney, I know how on top of taking down old shit and putting new shit up. They are. Those two properties have been left to basically rot. Um, So for 20 years, they have just been slowly falling apart, but the, you know, the water slides are still there in the river country area and the um, aviary and a lot of the different stuff that was on discovery Island is still there. It's just, vacated and in bad shape because I mean you're talking about a part of the world that routinely sees hurricanes so there's a lot of damage and destruction that happens to stuff and I mean some of these things are eerie I don't know if you've ever looked at urban exploration pictures um yeah I mean some yeah but just like in mother Russia or you know what have you well so if you can imagine that same kind of decay and um, crumbling vibe but then mm-hmm. insert jovial Disney things like one of the uh, sections there's like a Mickey head that's like sort of disintegrating over time and it's, Lord. Just, it's interesting to look at but so when well, I mean why does Mickey have the pots yeah <laughs> well so these parks were victims of circumstance essentially so um, Damn that circumstance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the Got a lot island, to answer for that guy. The Discovery Island was only accessible by a ferry or the Disney cruise ships. And it was Which ferry? The, Tinkerbell? <laughs> no, like a like a fucking ferry boat, you bitch. Uh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Anyway, so you could only You get, said Disney, you said ferry. What am I supposed to imply from this? <laughs> if I had if Disney had the technology for a ferry to help you fly to an island, <laughs> there'd be a lot more expensive things to do at Disneyland than there are now, which is hard. Anyway, sure. so uh, ferry boat, you'd get off, you'd go. It had one of the world's largest aviaries. Um, they were helping to repopulate some like local species that numbers were dwindling. It was a really cool... There were uh, tortoises and just all kinds of animals. And it was kind of like an early animal kingdom to an extent. There were also like water activities and things and slides and pools and things. Um, It was just a tropical paradise, this little island. Well, 
Animal Kingdom opened, and essentially, once you could see more animals and ride rides, there was no reason to go to this little island. So, basically, their new park pushed this other attraction experience out of, quite literally, the water. Hey, these are the jokes. Um, and then the same thing kind of happened to river country river country was themed to be sort of like an old timey like watering hole it uh featured goofy in some of its advertisements and it was kind of like old yeah old timey watering hole a little bit of like a southern vibe to it and it was quaint and charming and there were several slides and a giant pool it was a 330,000 gallon pool it was massive and it had this cool boulder that over was like overhanging the pool that had a couple little slides on it so would drop into the deep end of the pool it was it was a very very cool place unfortunately it was on the smaller side because it was the first water park they ever did so as they opened typhoon lagoon and blizzard beach and their other water parks on the property those became more popular they featured more slides and and things for you to do and were less quaint and less isolated from the other resorts as well because these again these were both kind of in close proximity on like the back side of the contemporary um, for those people who know the properties over there, kind of in sort of a old country vibe. Fort Wilderness is kind of in the same general vicinity. Anyway, all of that boring map shit aside, Disney basically uh, caused these to shut down by having successful other venues around them. So I wish uh, th- this topic is completely... Uh, better with audiovisual components, but there are some really incredible walkthroughs out there on YouTube of the different things. I mean, we're people just like left. So there's calendars on the wall. There's dry erase board meeting notes, like and stuff. And it's just it's really cool because it looks like people from you know these Disney operations. The cast members just literally like we're like I finished this bottle of Coke. But also, this is closed forever tomorrow, so I'm just going to go home from my shift. And so there's just things set around. There's one eerie picture, actually, I love, that there's just, like, a top hat on, a, on like, a bridge full of, like, foliage and leaves and twigs and just everything that has fallen down around it over the years. And it's so, like, hauntingly beautiful that someone was like, oh, my costume hat, but, like, left it there. I don't know. That stuff really speaks to me. So I would definitely encourage our listeners to go to YouTube, Google Discovery Island and River Country, and there's some amazing walkthroughs and photos and stuff. Also, don't trespass. Urban exploration is super illegal. I love it, but don't (laughs) trespass. And Disney, if you trespass on either of these two properties, will will literally ban you from Walt Disney World for life. You will never be allowed to buy a ticket. Wow. Yes dark but but cool but it's weird disney just doesn't normally abandon shit like that no and i I find it hypocritical that they're not willing to do anything with the property but they are willing to ban you for life if you just go look at it like (laughs) well the so the one that is the discovery island is an actual 
island. So mm-hmm. to get to it, you have to like sneak a boat over and it's a whole thing. And river right. country is hard to get to unless you sneak a boat in because the outer areas are very securely fenced off. Um, I will say River Country had three notable deaths, and one of them was from like a brain-eating parasite that was found in the water, because River Country did use some of the water from the lake in one of its things, so there were, you know, active cultures, parasites, etc. in those waters, but that's not what closed it down. That's the rumor is that the the parasite in the water was what shut it down. But that happened like 20 years before it closed. Wow. Um, Yep. Okay. So I wanted to fun up the game a little, though. I didn't want it to just be about like decrepit, rotting Disney properties. So instead, I have... A game called Real or Fake. And I'm going to read to you the name of an attraction, a theme park, or an experience with Disney. And you're going to tell me whether it was... And all these things were shelved. They were abandoned and they didn't end Mm -hmm. up making them. But five of them were real. And five of these are fake. So to get your ten points, you must correctly guess all ten. All right. All right. So I'm going to just start going down this list here. Um, I do have a fun fact uh, about the real ones and some of the fake ones. So I will tell you all the info I have after you tell me real or fake. Okay. All right. Let's go. Disney's America. Disney's America? Yes. Real? Yes, yeah. Uh, so that was scrapped in the late 90s. Uh, it was a patriotic park that was going to be in Virginia, and it was supposed to celebrate the history of America. Um, that idea fell through. It just didn't happen. And then when Knott's Berry Farm was suffering in the late 90s, I think it was like 97, the park mm-hmm. was up for sale, there was a rebirth of the idea of the America Park, but they would retheme all of Knott's Berry Farm and utilize the existing park to expand. Obviously, none of this, these things happened, but they tried to make it happen twice. Right. Okay, very good. So you got your first point. Hooray. All right. This next no one is... shut out for me. Edison Square. Edison Square. This feels... Fake. You would be wrong. It's real. So Edison Square was a project that was tossed around from 1955 to 1960. It mm. was supposed to be an area themed to the electric theme to electricity and Thomas Edison, and mm. it would have looked and felt like a real city in the 1900s. Mm. But it just didn't happen. Alrighty. Okay, next up, Herbie Bumper Bugs. Good, come on. That's that's got to be fake. It is. It's fake. But I will say there was a, a attraction that they were thinking of putting in called Duck Bumps, and it was going to be a bumper boat ride 
in the lagoon along International Street. So that small stretch of water over by Small World that used to have just regular boats in it, they wanted to put in bumper boats that were ducks. Obviously, that didn't get made. Wow. All right. Two points. Two points. Happy with that so far. All right. Our next one is Hollywood Land. Do you want me to read you the theme of the land to help you decide? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So this was a land that would have been representative of 1930s and 40s. There would have been rides adapted from Dick Tracy and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. A similar land did later get built in California Adventure, but this was conceived long before that. Uh, I want to say that's real. It is. It is real. Um, They ended up later taking the idea of vintage Hollywood and then putting the Hollywood section in DCA or Disney's California Adventure. So, yeah, another point for you. Good job. Cool. Okay. This next one is Mystical Mysterious Manor. Mm. <laughs> Do you want to hear more about it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so this manor was full of mysterious artifacts and had sort of similar features to the Haunted Mansion, except that they were more like oddities. Kind of similar to the stuff you see in the queue for um, Jungle Cruise, but not, not, not quite so shrunken head-ish. But that kind of idea where there'd be shadow boxes and and mysterious artifacts. I'm gonna say it sounds too close to Haunted Mansion. I'm gonna say that's fake. It is fake. There were things similar to that that were um, discussed, but that particular mysterious. Mysteri- oh my god. Yep, I can't say it. It's fake. You're right. <laughs> uh, okay. Alright, this next one's called Liberty Street. Since it's an area, I'll give you a little background again, as opposed to just a, a plain name. So, Liberty Street, uh, it would have been basically a 1776 Philadelphia vibe. It would have looked like a street scene there. Uh, It would have had a small harbor as well. And it would have been off Main Street next to, like, where the opera house is. So, basically, what is now backstage would have no longer been backstage. (laughs) There would have been a whole other land there. Hmm. I'm going to say fake. Ooh. Is it real? Yeah, so for 10 years, Walt tried to actually get that made at the park. They kept coming up with concepts from 55 to 65. And since they weren't able to accomplish that, when they finally scrapped it at Disneyland, that's why they later added the Liberty Liberty Square section at Disney World's Magic Kingdom. um, Because they still wanted to realize some of that, which is actually where their Hall of Presidents is. Mm-hmm. As opposed to ours, because we don't have one, so I could have just said where Hall of Presidents is. Uh, moving right along. 
Okay. Okay. Next one would have been an area entitled Disney Afternoon Studios. Um, it would have been basically similar to Toontown, but it would have been, you know, Chip and Dale and Baloo and uh, that cat bonkers. I don't know who was that cop cat, but all those yep. like yep. late 80s Disney cartoons. I'm going to say fake. That is fake, yeah. Um, I'm just basically describing Toontown to you with different characters. But there was a Disney afternoon event they did at the Mm. park. It was outside of where Toontown was, along that train station there. That was pretty magical. Okay, next one. This one, I don't feel like I need to explain this. If you need this explained, that's on you. Just say it. Snow White's Apple Pie Shop. Oh, I uh, oh, I want that to be real, um, but I think it might. Uh, I think it might be fake. I'm going to say fake. You're right. It's fake. I made that up. I thought it was hilarious. Oh man, I I, I wanted it to be real. I really did. <laughs> I I wanted you to want it to be real. Yeah. Okay, and then so two more left. Yep. If you've been paying attention, you should do... One is real and one is fake. Yeah, all right. So the, this is an area, again, Dick Tracy Alley. Uh, so this section would have been themed to Chicago, based on the movie they thought would have been a huge hit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no matter what I pick, I'm going to go with that for both guesses, so I at least get one point out of these two. But I'm going to go for the gusto and try and get it right this time so I get both points. Um, I think Dick Tracy Alley is fake. It is fake. There yeah! was There was a ride in talks called Dick Tracy Crime Stoppers, and it would have mm. been like a, a motion simulator ride like Star Tours. Right. Through the streets of Chicago, but they never planned for a full actual land for it. Hmm. So again, they did do that same kind of thing with Disney Afternoon, where they had a stage show and there were pictures, and it was pretty rad. I went to both of those things. I was a pretty lucky kid. Very cool. All right, this last one. This one's hmm. a little more wordy, but uh, hmm. go for it. This is a ride. This is a proposed ride. Hmm. Paparazzi pursuit. <laughs> Uh, so it would have been no, a roller coaster where guests would have been playing the role of actors and trying to make it to the premiere of their newest hit film while dodging paparazzi and freeway traffic. Wow. I cannot believe that that is real. But it is real. It must be. You better you lied to me. <laughs> it, it is real. Um, I will say yeah. it opened up uh, did not open up with paparazzi pursuit. Ow. So, and I saved this one for last because there is a little bit of sadness in it, and it wouldn't be oh, no. me if it wasn't. Um, so that was <laughs> so that was an idea that was being kicked around in the mid to late nineties to go into mm. the Disney's California Adventure Park when Princess Diana was killed essentially by being pursued by paparazzi in that tunnel in Paris. Michael Eisner said, hey, maybe we should change this, guys. 
And so it went from being a roller coaster ride to a dark ride, and it was called Superstar Limo, and you were guided through like the entertainment and Hollywood industry and these terrifying and I mean terrifying rubber celebrities and Joan Rivers attacked you at every twist and turn of the ride. Um, it didn't even last a, a full year. Um, when the park opened, that ride lasted like I think 10 months maybe. And then they rethemed it and created a monsters Inc ride, but it, it was still a, a shit ride ride like they should have scrapped it all together when princess diana died mm. but yeah all right well you got seven out of ten so you're basically killing it feel pretty good about that yeah. feel pretty good about that um but uh we're gonna have to see how you do because uh next segment is gonna be my segment and i'll just tell you right now we're gonna party like it's 1984 and that's all I'm going to give you. Uh, we'll come back to my topic right after this. Hey, I'm Pantsless Aaron. This is Stevie. And I'm Augie. And we are Because Fuck You, That's Why, the podcast that's all about playing games and having fun. Our games are mostly based on British panel shows or British game shows, but we'll play just about anything that catches our attention and imagination. Our show is all about laughs, so please come by and have a great time. Why? Because, because fuck you, that's why. why. And welcome back. It's time for our final segment, uh, part three, which means it's time for my topic. So as we're currently living in a dystopian future, I think it's appropriate to learn a bit about one of the 20th century's greatest novelists. George Orwell is probably best known for writing Animal Farm in 1984, as uh, Aaron so astutely guessed during the break. Uh, but he also produced uh, literary criticism, poetry, polemical journalism, uh, and fought fascism. Um, so I thought it might be interesting to explore his life a little bit and learn a little bit more about the man behind uh, two of the 20th century's greatest novels. Um, his... I, don't mean, I don't mean to interrupt no, you, but I would have gone with the man behind the mammals. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, all right, fine. It, you you want to do my topic for me? You, no, no, you know no. This, sorry. You know I just this had so to... much better than me. You just go ahead and take over. It's fine. What uh, are you fucking Bridget now? Are you fucking Bridget? <laughs> you fucking kidding me? You fucking telling me how to fucking talk? Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so let's let's learn a little bit about George Orwell. His father was a sub-deputy opium agent in the opium department of the Indian Civil Service, which just sounds like the greatest job ever. How do you get put in charge of opium? If anybody knows, hit me up. In 1904, his mom, Ida, brought her children to live in Oxfordshire to be raised and educated in England. Uh, because they were poor, he was sent to a boarding school and reportedly hated it, given that he wrote an essay called Such Such Were the Joys, based on his time there. But he did befriend Cyril Connolly, who would become the editor of literary magazine Horizon and would wind up publishing several of Orwell's, Orwell's essays. He would eventually go on to Eton College, where he would be taught French by, of all people, Aldous Huxley. 
and he would neglect his studies, preferring instead to work on college magazines like the Election Times, College Days, and, and this is a real title, Bubble and Squeak. His grades were dismal, but he had a fascination with the East, so his family decided he should join the Imperial Police back in India. He worked as a police officer in Burma for about five and a half years, and this would influence his future novel, Burmese Days, and the essays A Hanging and Shooting an Elephant, which makes me think that his time there was not all sunshine and puppies. He explored the poorer parts of London for a while, uh, feeling a bit like uh, following in the footsteps of another writer he uh, admired, Jack London. Uh, and in fact, uh, spent a lot of time living as a bum in London intentionally. Um, and in early 1928, he moved to Paris, where he began to find success as a journalist, publishing articles in journals like Monde and GK's Weekly. And this is where he began writing an awful lot about poverty. He became seriously ill in 1929 and was taken to a free hospital where medical students were trained. And he wrote an essay called How the Poor Die, based on the experience. The same year, he got The Spike published, which was an article based on his time spent intentionally living as a vagrant in London. He eventually moved to Southwold, a coastal town in Suffolk, and had some difficulty there. He published a few more essays, but when he attempted to publish the first version of his first full book, his memoir, Down and Out in Paris and London, the editorial director of the place he sent it to, Faber and Faber, T.S. Eliot rejected it. Uh, he would wind up ending the year by deliberately getting arrested so that he could experience Christmas in jail. But uh, with his luck being what it was, the cops let him go after two days and he just went home instead. Uh, he became a teacher for a while at the Hawthorne High School for Boys. It was during this time that his first book, Down and Out, finally got published. But shortly thereafter, he bought a motorcycle and during one of his trips through the countryside, contracted pneumonia. And during recovery, he decided not to return to teaching. Um, he just had a lot of bad luck with a lot of the things that he wanted to do. Uh, he published his second book, uh, Burmese Days, and started work on the novel A Clergyman's Daughter and took a job in London working appropriately at a bookshop, which to this day has a plaque celebrating him. He got that uh, book, a, a Clergyman's Daughter, published in 1935 and worked on another book, Keep the Aspidistra Flying and The Road to Wigan Pier. Uh, in which he took a strong interest in the working life in the coal mines located there. And his research into this got him placed under surveillance by the British spe uh, special branch for 12 years. He took part in the Spanish Civil War to fight against fascism and was shocked by the deplorable conditions and the lack of supplies. Uh, he was made a corporal due to his... Uh, education but when he was shot through the throat by a sniper's bullet and survived he was declared unfit for service and he left the country for england once again 
During the Second World War, he worked on Animal Farm and eventually got it published in 1945, which made him a worldwide success. He continued to work in literary journalism and published 1984 and 1949. But by this point, he was already in poor health from tuberculosis and living in a sanatorium. And on the 21st of January, 1950, an artery burst in his lungs and he passed away. Uh, During most of his career, he was more famous as a journalist, but modern day readers know him as a novelist and rightly so. Um, Animal Farm in 1984 are absolute stone cold classics with strong messages about letting the state control our lives. And it's remarkable how much of his writing still applies today. Um, I have a poster where from when I went to see the movie 1984 at like a a free showing at, I think, a college uh, somewhere. Um, And I had seen the movie before in in school, like they showed it in a class, probably either ethics or or social social uh, sciences, whatever. Um, but I remember not paying much attention to it, but this time when I went as an adult, like that is such a good movie. And I, I can't say for certain, but I feel like George Orwell really would have really would have been pleased with how that movie turned out. John Hurt is amazing, um, through that entire film. Uh, and it is, it is really, it's really stark and really frightening but the sad thing is that we're coming closer and closer to that every day uh in america um but we'll see that's the future uh let's deal with now uh now you got to play some more untenable you know the drill five true five false 50 50 shot on each one let's go uh fact number one george orwell is his pen name his real name is percy hayes true that is false uh his real name is eric arthur blair i made up percy hayes out of whole cloth uh number two george wound up marrying his childhood sweetheart jacintha buttercum true that is false what the fuck uh, they never married. Um, they lost touch uh, in his teens uh, and did not reconnect again until just before his death. Uh, number three, George had an 11 point system for making a cup of tea. And the most important rule was no sugar. True. That is true. <laughs> It's funny, but it's true. An 11-point system for making a cup of tea um, in any event. I don't uh, understand all the steps because I think I could maybe get to, like, I like tea. I'm pretty into tea. Cup. But I, I, I don't think I could do more Put than, like. Put in the tea bag. Yeah. Add some water. Just maybe swirl the tea bag around a little bit. Remove the tea bag. Add whatever you want for flavor. Unless he's adding like five or six things for flavor. I don't know. But mm-hmm. in any event. Uh, who knows? Who knows? He may he may have been on to something. I don't know. Let's move on. Uh, number four. Uh, George Orwell's review of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World described it as being a window into the actual future. 
And this was George's review of Aldous's work. That's correct. I want to say true because then it would have hurt so much more when Aldous wouldn't buy the book. <laughs> uh, it is false. Um, he actually said it had no relation to the actual future. Got it. All right. Um, but he did. He was he was good friends with Aldous Huxley, but apparently not the biggest fan of his book. Um, in any event, uh, number five. While in Paris, Orwell wanted a gun for protection, but couldn't easily acquire one until Ernest Hemingway, a fan of his work, gave Orwell a Colt 32. True. That is true. Ernest Hemingway was a fan of George Orwell's and gave him a gun. Uh, number six, the major reason for Orwell's death was because he was allergic to the medication streptomycin, and his doctors didn't know that a lower dosage of it could have saved him without the horrible side effects. But he died of an aortic, or no, a burst, ruptured. In his lungs. So false. It's true. It's true. Uh, streptomycin is, was at the time the prescribed drug for tuberculosis, but apparently it was too new and the doctors didn't know it all that well. Uh, number seven. During his last days, Orwell was visited by fellow famous British author Evelyn Waugh. True. That is true. It is amazing how many names, other famous names of 20th century uh, writing worlds uh, connect to George Orwell in some way. Um, in any event, uh, that is true. And you get the point. Uh, number eight. Orwell requested upon his death to be cremated and his remains to be dumped into the English Channel between the two countries he spent the most time in later in life, England and France. True. That is false. Uh, he is buried in the churchyard of All Saints in Oxfordshire, where he originally grew up. Yeah, but is that what he asked for, though? Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually, no, it's not. He actually asked for it to be buried in the graveyard of the church nearest to where he died, but uh, his widow couldn't get any of the churches nearby to, to get him in. Like, I guess they had no open space or whatever. Um, so she reached out and somebody from his hometown said, hey, All Saints has a space for him. And that's where he wound up. Uh, it has his real name on it, too, Eric Arthur Blair, and there's no mention of George Orwell anywhere on it. Um, number nine, his adopted son, Richard Horatio Blair, is more famously known as the successful thriller author A.J. Quinnell. False. That is false. Um, he is not a writer at all. He is a trustee of the Orwell Foundation. Number 10. By the time of his death, he could speak seven different languages. True. That is true. 
Uh, he spoke English, French, Burmese, Greek, Spanish, Latin, and German. And there you go. That's all 10. Four points. Oh, man. I wanted you to win this one, but I guess I was playing too hard at the first game. That's all right. That's all right. You clearly are smarter than me. And if that no, makes you feel better, that is, then... that is not true. That is not true. I am a dumbass through and through. <laughs> I uh, I just know how to play games. Like as soon as as soon as we got to the point where there were like three false and one true left, I'm like, I'm just gonna go false all the way down until there's just two left because it's it's practically guaranteed to that I'm gonna get three points that way. So, you know, I just kind of gamed the system, but. That's all right. I'm fine with losing. I do it enough on the show, but I'm fine with it. These words are like a dagger in my back. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, well, to be fair, this is for absolutely zero stakes. Uh, you know, you get nothing for winning or losing on the show. So, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, sure. I, I, I'm absolutely fine with losing myself but i mean i guess i'm glad you didn't make me count how many beans were in a can of baked beans yeah. <laughs> no i wouldn't do that uh she is referring to a particularly evil trick uh played on taskmaster uh the show that we are now both fans of um yeah uh greg davies is something else He's a uh, gem <laughs> his reactions to everything that that alex makes those people do is delightful absolutely yes. delightful and i swear to god nothing makes me laugh harder than when greg completely loses it like when he's just absolutely and there's there's some moments in season 13 which is uh going on right now that i mean i think you'll absolutely love when you get to that point you've still got a ways to go oh gosh yeah i'm only like halfway through season five now Oh, season five is one of my favorites. The finale is amazing. Right. Uh, save up for that. Uh, and I love all those contestants. They're absolutely insane. Um, season five, six, seven, nine, uh, and I think 11 are my favorites out of all because they're just so good. Um and there's some incredible moments. I'm so excited to talk with you about some of the stuff. In any event, uh, that will be neither here nor there. We might just do an entire Taskmaster episode of any. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be down for that. Uh, in any event, um, that's going to be it for our show. I hope you've enjoyed learning a bit more about Disney's abandoned properties and uh, the life and times of Sir George Orwell. Uh, he's not actually a sir, I don't think, but uh, I just gave him that out of respect. Fucking should be. Yeah, yeah, he fucking should be. He fucking should be. He fought fascism. Um, and <laughs> uh, you can follow me if you so wish at Pantsless Aaron. You can follow Aaron at T O A O Turtle. Um, and I recommend you follow A N E underscore podcast on Twitter. That's our official uh, Twitter account for the podcast. Uh, and it's where we'll post all the fun things that we do once they're up and available. Uh, you can also probably follow us on anchor.fm if you're of a mind, uh, or just subscribe to us on Apple podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm sure we're around somewhere. Um, yeah. And I think that's, 
that's going to be it from us. Oh, one last thing. Um, if you go to our anchor.fm page, you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, and we would appreciate that. We haven't heard from you guys in a little bit. Um, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can also do that at uh, Aaron and Aaron inbox at gmail.com. That is A-A-R-O-N-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-I-N-B-O-X at gmail.com. And that is going to be it from us. So from me, it's goodbye. And from Aaron. Bye.